Well, hello and welcome to the good old days of radio show. This is John Tefteller, your host. It's Tuesday. It's comedy time. And by request of no one, I'm just joking, by request of a few people, anyway, especially me, we're going to go and hear another couple episodes of Vic and Sade. For those of you who listened to the first two and liked it, you should love this, these two, because these are two of the best episodes in my humble opinion. If you didn't like the first ones we played some weeks back, you probably should skip this episode or give it another chance. Maybe you'll like these better. Uh, The first one is from June 8th, 1943, Wartime in America, and lots of commercials related to wartime on this one. And it's all about putting up a porch swing at the house. Remember, Vic and Sade is the king of Subtle humor writing. Very subtle. In fact, some people think, think it's so subtle they don't get it. But those who get it, get it, and I'm one who gets it. So we're going to hear more of it and say it. Here we go. Now, get ready to smile again with radio's home folks, Vic and Sade. Vic and Sade, written by Paul Reimer, is brought to you each weekday by the makers of Crisco. And now, here's another in our series of ration snapshots, or how to put the bee on the bird. Jimmy, get away from that icebox and stop picking at that chicken, or there won't be any for dinner. Gosh, Mom, there isn't enough left to feed a bird. Mm, Now, you'd be surprised how far I can make it go with a little cream sauce or maybe some croquettes. Gee whiz, isn't there anything else you can do with chicken? (laughs) You bet there is, son. You tell your mom to put her Crisco to work on some of those swell-tasting chicken-filled pancakes. That's what Crisco's for, to help give you point-saving meals that taste like a million. And Crisco's chicken-filled pancakes will do just that. You betcha. You simply make thin pancakes, spread with ground leftover chicken, roll up and serve with a creamy Crisco gravy. Good? Mm Mm-hmm. And really digestible, too. Sure, pancakes or any Crisco fried foods are easy to digest. Of course, fried foods aren't the only way Crisco takes the strain off your Red Ration book. No, no. Did you know that Crisco comes to the fore any time you're stumped by a wartime meal problem? That's right. Delicious gravies for low-point meats, shortcakes and biscuits for rounding out a lean meal, and smooth as velvet white sauces that put a touch of magic on leftovers. Why, you can count on Crisco to turn the trick in any recipe that calls for shortening. And that sure saves tying up points in a lot of fats. Crisco's the finest quality shortening money can buy, pure and all vegetable. And yet it takes not a point more than the very cheapest shortening. Only five points for a pound of Crisco... Accepting butter or margarine for your table, it's the only fat you need. Why, you couldn't ask for better red point economy, could you? Try Crisco and discover what a lot of good eating you can get from those red ration points that you have to spend. And now, back to Vic and Sade. Well, sir, it's late afternoon as we approach the small house halfway up on the next block now. And here on the front porch, we find Mr. and Mrs. Victor Gook. Mr. Victor Gook has newly arrived home from the office, 
and he's gazing discontentedly at a heap of chains and a wooden swing to which his wife has just directed his attention. You didn't drag this junk up from the basement by yourself, did you? Naturally not. Well, who helped you? Mr. Gumpox. Why didn't he help you hang the swing while he was about it? What? Nothing. Goodness, how you mutter to yourself anymore. I crooned to myself. See, I love myself. Victor's a sweetheart, I crooned. Victor sure is. Well, gonna take off your coat and put up this swing? Seems to me I'm ordered about in a highly despotical manner. I'll say. Since I'm the party who's saddled with the task of putting up the swing, strikes me I should choose my own time for putting up the swing. What was it the poet Keats said to the poet Brownin when he held the dandelion under his chin to determine whether or not he liked butter? I believe history tells us that he chuckled foolishly and twisted his cap into a damp wad. And then... See how jobs get handled around here. All talk and no action. You say you ought to choose your own time. Well, when would that time have been? Next Christmas? Look up and down the block. Every living soul and their brothers got their porch swing up but us. Every living soul and their brother. And here it is, the summer half over. I'll have to quarrel with that statement, Dr. Sleech. The summer is not half over. We've barely gotten our teeth into the summer. Harking back to the poet Keats again, just to point up and round out my point, Permit me to quote from his early work entitled, My Naked Feet Are Drooping Flowers, Miser Williams. In the third stanza of the... Talk, 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 talk. Person gets so tired of talk sometimes. You could have had the darn port swing up by now. You could have been sitting in it by now. I could have been stretched out at full length in it by now. Sure. I don't want to weary you with too many references to the poet Keats, but his biographers tell an amusing story where... It seems that he yearned to kiss a certain pretty girl whose name was Sally Sue Skinkletrap. Isn't that a piquant name? Well, anyway, the poet Keats chucked pretty Sally Sue under the chin and said, I know I'm a bold man. I'm going in the house. In the house? Yeah. You mean I have to put up the porch swing by myself? I hold it out of the basement. I think I've done my part. Well, putting up a porch swing is a two-man job. It is not. It takes one guy to slip the chains on the hook oh, and another guy to... Oh, that's ridiculous, and you know it. Mercy, how people will use up energy trying to get out of using up energy. Like old Mr. Bainbridge there in Dixon. That you... oh, the telephone's ringing. Telephone's ringing. Well, that's Ruthie. Uh, probably Richigan Fishigan from Sishigan, Michigan calling Wait, up to find out. Wait, that's Ruthie. How on earth can you tell the truth? Because she said she'd call. You're going to answer, huh? Wouldn't you, if you were me? Don't start crying, Vic. Here come a couple of nice helpers. Where? Out in front. Russell and Uncle Fletcher. Hello, fellas. Hello. Afternoon, lady. Afternoon, Greg. Greetings, friends. I have to go in there to the telephone. Come on up, neighbors. I'm just about to cut a cold watermelon, and there's a big red juicy slice for all. That's right, Greg. How are you, Russell? I'm pretty good. What's that green stuff on your shirt? Grass stain. Oh, I thought it was blood. No, grass stain. Pretty weather, Vic. That's the time you hit the nail right on the head. Today's exactly like a day we had in Dixon in 1909. August 8th, 1909. I never seen two days so much alike. Put them up alongside each other and you couldn't tell them apart. August 8th, 1909. I'll never forget that day. Neither will I. Go on. You wasn't even born. (laughs) I don't know whether you guys are familiar with the poet Keats or not, but they tell an amusing little story on him. Yes, well, I wouldn't know anything about that. Yes, Sade. Beg pardon? He's not talking to you. Fine. You holler, Sade. Friends, Ruthie want to know how we feel about 500 this evening. Oh, boy, hot stuff. Make a date. We'll go there. We sure will. Make no mistakes. Where's my hat? What's all that? 
I'm afraid you better tell Fred my foot didn't hardly quit hurting there where the little yellow roses cost me four dollars and the tired horse sat on Harold's lap. I've just got as much self-respect as the next man, but if nine doctors only give Mrs. Hunkelman 30 years to live, I just can't help crying and gnashing my teeth oh, and tell... Oh, oh, how smart, smart, smart. Oh, you're right there, Sage. Yes, I left the telephone and walked clear to the door here so I could hear what you were telling me. Well, now I can walk back, I guess. I'm all mixed up on what you people are talking about. <laughs> They're just joking. Uh-huh. Have you got the swing up yet? Not quite. Almost, though. Hmm. I would put it like this. I would you say... You haven't even touched the swing yet, have you? Not manually, no. However, in a figurative sense, I, I think it may be... I thought waiting on the telephone. We'll play tonight, then? Hmm? Yes, let's do. I don't think you'd better handle the port swing, Russell. There's nails underneath that might scratch, and it's a heavy thing and might get loose and fall on your toes. All right. Kiddo, kind of a funny thing happened at the office this afternoon. Me and niece suffer were standing chewing the rag by the telephone switchboard. I can't keep waiting any longer. Please put up the port swing. Ladies are impatient creatures. Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy. Yes. You've probably got old Pete McStingle in mind. No, I have. The Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad and old Pete McStingle. They go hand in hand. They sure do. I'm all mixed up in what you're talking about now. Really, Russell? You said ladies were impatient creatures. Then Uncle Fletcher said Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy. And then you said yes. <laughs> Gosh, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, it didn't. Russell's a good boy. Uh-huh. If I give you a violin, could you play a tune on it? Nope. Ernie Spotters could. Who's Ernie Spotters? A Belvedere fella I used to know. Give him a violin, he'd play a tune on it. Give him a guitar, he'd play a tune on it. Give him a mouse organ, and he'd play a tune on it. Uh-huh. One day, a bunch of the lads that hung around the section gang's tool chanty decided they'd play a joke on Ernie. They got hold of an anvil and wrapped it up in oilcloth and tied some string around it and give it to Ernie and says, Ernie, play a tune on this. What'd Ernie do? Nothing. He just sat there. Well, what's the point? Yes. Tell you another wild stunt Ernie Spotters pulled off. He bought a pair of shoes and wore them to work every day for six weeks. I then took them back to the shoe store and tried to get the clerk to exchange them. Did the shoe clerk do it? No, sir. Shoe clerk says, Brother, I don't know whether I can whip you or not. But if you're not out of here by the time I count to 15, I'm sure going to try. Well. Ernie Spotters, dead now. Loved apples and hated fish. Right-handed and left-handed both. His cousin gave me a box of candied pineapple one Christmas by mistake. I ate it. You going to put up the porch swing? Yes, I thought I would. Looks like a real good one. Oh, it's good enough porch swing as porch swings go. We're the only people in the block that haven't got a porch swing in their porch. Will we remedy that in a hurry? Another funny thing about Ernie Spotters, he never trusted smoking tobacco. Chew, yes. Smoke, no. He thought smoking tobacco would explode. Max, what was the name of that man that Mr. McClellan was telling what? about? What? Chew, yes. Smoke, no. Can you hear me? Yes. Hulch. I know a Hulch. Say it again. Hulch. I know a Hulch, Vic. Hulch? Vic, I know a Hulch. Ruthie wanted to know. Hulch. Harry Hulch. The Hulch I knew was a woman, Minnesota Hulch. And here's a coincidence. I just got through telling you about Ernie Spotters that would chew but not smoke. Minnesota Hulch's brother George was the other way around. He'd smoke, but he wouldn't chew. Yes. Smoke. Yes. Chew. No. Uh-huh. Ernie Spotters. Chew. Yes. Smoke. No. George Hulch. Smoke. Yes. Chew. No. That's right. It's a topsy-turvy world. Chicago, Burlington, Quincy. 
Oh, yes, the Chicago Burlington and Quincy. Hey, now, wait a minute. Smoke? Yes. Chew? No. There's a lesson there if we want to learn it. Yes, indeed. Are you going to put up the porch swing now? Why, yes, I think I will. Porch swings are dandy for sitting in. You can't beat them. A rock or something's biting under my foot. I think I'll take my shoe off. Do that. Fine. You are going to put up the porch swing now? Yes. I wouldn't know anything about that, of course, but I do recall another odd peculiarity of Ernie Spotter's. Ernie used to take an ordinary kitchen mop... I bet the telephone company will complain before long we're wearing out their wires. Oh, yeah, yeah, grab a chain, Uncle Fletcher. Yeah, Ernie and me oh. get on that telephone. We just sit and talk our heads off. Grab a hold of the porch swing. I will. No, you, Uncle Fletcher. I got my shoe off. But that don't hurt. It does, too, hurt. That's why I took it off. Wait, um, How long uh, we talked that time, Vic? Must have been close. I took my shoe off, Sadie. You haven't got the porch swing up yet, huh, Vic? Uh, no... Get out of the way. Sadie, I know you... Get out of the way. Can I help put off the porch? Sit on the railing or someplace, Russell. All right. Sadie, I was just telling Vic here about... Will you stand over to one side, please, Uncle Fletcher? Fine. I'll take care of this. Oh, Sadie, get out of the way. Uh. Everybody, get out of the way. Which concludes another brief interlude at the small house halfway up in the next block. forget to listen to Crisco's Vake and Save the Next Time. This is Ed Roberts speaking. Well, are you all set for winter? You got your coal in? Are your storm windows ready? Now, wait a minute, Mr. Stark. We just got our screens up. <laughs> the grass needs cutting, and my victory garden's just coming up. This is summer. Ah, sure it's summer. So the government says, get ready for next winter. I don't get it. Well, now look. It's going to be just as cold next winter as last, isn't it? Yes. And the fuel situation isn't going to be any better than last winter. Unless... Unless... Unless everybody helps out by ordering his coal or oil for heating ahead of time this summer. But how will that help? Well, if your fuel dealers can order next winter's supply now, they can deliver it during the summer. That'll save time and railroad space for deliveries next fall. And everyone will get more fuel. Well, why didn't I think of that? Oh, but that's not all. No. No, sir. You need storm windows and weather stripping and insulation. They save fuel and save you money, too. And don't forget, oil is going to be plenty scarce next winter, too. So if you can convert your oil furnace to coal, convert now while there's still manpower and materials available. Oh, it's just like the ant and the grasshopper, getting ready for winter in the summer. That's right. If you want to be warm, prepare for next winter now. This program came to you from Chicago and New York. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
Well, that was from 79 years ago, June 8th, 1943, in the midst of wartime. And actually, <laughs> to let out a little information here, we're recording this show to be aired on June 7th. So we are um, <laughs> quite close to the anniversary of this. Um, and I think every um, family in America who listens to this show can relate to it. The husband who's supposed to put up the porch swing, it never happens. He has help from the family members, but it never happens. And then at the very end, the wife comes in and starts to put up the porch swing, gets it done. Okay. Um, one more Vic and Sade. Uh, this one is from July 23rd, 1943. And no more porch swing. They've switched to uh, their lodge robe uh, alterations. They're going to figure out how to make alterations to their lodge robe. And here we go. What shampoo is first choice of American women? It's Dreen. More women wash their hair with Dreen than any other shampoo. So get special Dreen with hair conditioner. No other shampoo leaves hair so lustrous, yet so easy to manage. D-R-E-N-E. -E, special Dreen. Get ready to smile again with radio's home folks, Vic and Sade, written by Paul Reimer. Vic and Sade is brought to you by the makers of Ivory Flakes and Crisco. Say, you know something? For a lady like you with three meals a day to get and a hungry family to please, Crisco's a mighty good friend to have around. Sure. Having Crisco on hand is one way to make those wartime meals just about as fat and sassy as any you served before rationing. I mean it. Those nourishing, appetizing touches that make the folks sparkle to your cooking come natural with Crisco. And without going haywire with red stamps either. Why, look at how a big platter of Crisco muffins, biscuits, or rolls dresses up a meal that's hobbling along on a few points. And don't those odds and ends of a roast lose that slighted look when you Crisco fry them into crisp, digestible hash? Or what about a meat pie that's topped off with a rich, tender Crisco crust? Gee, there are so many Crisco ways to round out point-poor meals that, well, you hardly have to give your ration book a second thought. And say, doesn't it help a lot having Crisco the only shortening you need for cooking? It is, you know. Crisco's pure and all vegetable. Such fine quality, it answers every cooking purpose. And yet Crisco costs only five points a pound. So with Crisco for cooking, you don't tie up red stamps in a single other fat except a little butter for the table. And how that puts you red stamps ahead. Why not try Crisco and see how it keeps those red points in line. How it makes them account for meals that are nourishing and appetizing too. And now, back to Vacant Sade. Well, 
Well, sir, it's late afternoon as we approach the small house halfway up in the next block now. And here on the front porch, we find Mr. Victor Gook all by himself. Mr. Gook lounges in the swing with his feet on the railing and appears to be in a state of reflective serenity. And here's a newcomer. Young Russell Miller rounds the corner. Listen. I'm sending dead fish. Anybody at this house want any? Hi, George. Interested in any dead fish? You're very witty and very pretty. If I had my music, I'd sing you a ditty. There's a kitty, what a pretty. Can you move over, please? Uh, Thanks. Um, we knew you were home. How so? We saw... We were out in the backyard and saw Mr. Goffers walk along the sidewalk. He waved at somebody on the front porch here. Had to be you. Could have been Uncle Fletcher, couldn't it? Uncle Fletcher was with me. When I said we, I meant myself and Uncle Fletcher. Where's Uncle Fletcher now? He stopped to sit on the lid of the cistern and take off his shoe. Rock in it. Uncle Fletcher manages to get more rocks in his shoe than any 56 other guys in town. I think that's because you wear such roomy shoes. Uh-huh. And he only laces them about a third of the way up. Uh-huh. A person that wears extra big shoes and only laces them a third of the way up lays herself open to sticks and stones and rocks and hunks of glass and banana peelings and... Various objects that clutter up Afternoon, the public streets and alleys. And Greetings, Uncle Fletcher. Glorious day. Yes, isn't it? The feathered macaw struts in the deep forest, and the little bird shakes from his throat floods of delirious music. That's right. I had something with you. Gee, I hope it was a great big diamond. Yes. We'd all be rich. Uh, no, sit uh, no, no, here. No, 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 here, here. Beg pardon? Uh, sit here in the swing. Don't sit on the railing. Railing is fine. No, it's not. Take my seat, Uncle Fletcher. Why, oh, I wouldn't consider robbing you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, wonder if everybody insists. I'll sit on the railing. Too much of a strain watching you perch up there, Uncle Fletcher. Almost went into a nervous collapse day before yesterday. I never lost my half-wit equilibrium. No, but you looked like you were going to any second. I was scared to Up death. Hop off in there, Russell. I'll demonstrate my nitwit equilibrium as No, no, no. To... Sit still. Anyway, there's an important question I want to ask you. Isn't your landlady, Ms. Keller, an expert seamstress? Who's this? Your landlady, Ms. Keller. She's over home, I guess. I never heard her open a trap about going anyplace. Oh, I didn't inquire where she was. I just asked if she isn't pretty handy with needle and thread. Uh, mm. I'll tell you the reason I'm interested. Uh, uh, I have a letter here in my pocket from Lodge headquarters in Chicago notifying me of certain style alterations for the official regalia. Oh, heck, Uncle Fletcher, don't be tough. I never lost my half-wit equilibrium in my life. <laughs> if you're going to be mad, I'd rather give you this place than on the railing. At the Whiteside County Fair in 1909, we made a human pyramid, and I was top man. And just to amuse the ladies, we let them throw watermelon rinds at me. And I stood on Howard Nelson's shoulders for over half an hour with watermelon rinds coming at me from all directions. And I never lost my lame brain equilibrium once. Gosh. I was soaking, sopping wet from watermelon juice and was finding watermelon seeds in my pockets and in my watch and in my hair for a month afterwards. But my worst enemy never accused me of losing my nitwit equilibrium. Oh, Uncle Fletcher, let's call it truth. Accept my abject apologies. I surrender unconditionally. Russell, let him sit on the railing. Okay. Sit on the railing, Uncle Fletcher. Huh? The railing's yours. Climb up on it and we'll admire your equilibrium till who laid the chunk. What's he say? Too late now, I suppose. What shall I do now? Go out in the garden and eat worms? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He'll have. Well, we're friends again. Let's get out the old banjo and strum a merry tune. Russell, take off your shoes and dance a rigamadoon. Where are the pretty girls to weave flowers in my hair? <laughs> Want to sit on the railing, Uncle Fletcher? No. Come on, we'll both sit on the railing. Nah, no, I'm comfortable, Russell, thanks. 
Care from Sadie? Did you today again, Vic? No, I don't believe so. Mailman never left anything this afternoon, did he, Harry? No. Fine. No news is good news. That's what they say. My landlady, Miss Keller, made up that expression. Really? Yes, made it up many years ago. It happened to catch on with the public, and now you hear it every place. Uh-huh. I understand you do inquire a while ago if she's home this afternoon? No, I inquired if she wasn't a skillful seamstress, handy with needle and thread. No, Vic, you're confused on the party. I'm sure I heard Mom say Miss Keller's a red-hot dressmaker and stuff. Yeah. You probably have in mind Dr. Elton Ennel Halter there in DeKalb. He a pretty good dressmaker, is he? Veely, Haynes, Hupmobile, Saxon, all them cars. Uh-huh. Briscoe, Overland, Rockney, Dort. Uh-huh. All them cars. Uh-huh. Dr. Elton N. O. Halter, dead now. Passed away while he was awake. Waved goodbye to all his relatives and walked to the undertaker's office on his own two feet. I've always been glad I wasn't there. Miss Harris across the alley is a dressmaker, isn't she? I believe so. Let me stroll over there after a bit. <laughs> Do you want a dress made? <laughs> I want my large robe altered. Oh, new styles are coming out, huh? Yeah, once every two or three years or so, headquarters changes the styles. Yeah, want to hear the letter I received this afternoon? Sure. Allen, Franklin, Apperson, Chalmers, all them cars. Huh? <clears throat> I'm still thinking about Dr. Enel Halter. He practiced dentistry for over 58 years and never had a patient. You mean he never lost a patient? He never had a patient. Seems like all the patients patronized other dentists. He had a young lady to come up to his office one afternoon in the autumn of 1906, but it turned out she just wanted to find out what time it was. Wasn't interested in getting her tooth fixed at all, just desirous of finding out what time it was. It was 2.30 on the dot, and Dr. O'Halter never forgot that. Well, Grace, he'd say to his wife, sometimes looking sick and smiling glum, the clock says 2.30, I wonder if I got any patients down at the office. Mm. Marmon, Jackson, Locomobile, Winton. Kissel, all them cars. This dentist owned so many automobiles? No, Russell, he never owned any automobiles. Mm. Very sad affair. Mm. You want to hear this letter from Lodge headquarters? Uh-huh. Dear Sky Brother Gook, in hoc signo clock spittle S, ad valorum in huius prison scrouch, cheese comes some old cornucopia... This isn't about <laughs> Dr. Elton then, old halter. Uh-uh. Dr. Elton Enno Halter has passed away. Yeah, that's what you say. Pierce Air, Pope, Overland, all them cars. You listening, Russell? Shoot. In keeping with the sacred stars of the Milky Way's policy of maintaining an up-to-date... Well, this is just a long rigmarole here about changing the official regalia to fit in with the style ideas of the year 1944. Something like ladies' dresses, huh? Yeah. All right, now here's the different alterations conveniently numbered. Mm Mm-hmm. Number one. The robe is to be worn three inches shorter in 1944. Gosh sakes, that's almost to the knee. Mm. I expect I'd better be getting on for home. Number two, higher waistline. Exactly like ladies' dresses. Lift the elastic stomacher several inches according to your height. This will give you the attractively demure peach squeezer effect so much in vogue. Yeah, I expect I'd better be getting on for home. Number three, sleeves. Sleeves are to be much fuller. Sky brother E.W. Smith of Emporia, Kansas, favors rosettes at the wrists and peekaboo shoulder vents. And although these are not forbidden, neither are they recommended. Sky brother Jack K. Crowell of Dismal Seepage, Ohio, dispenses with sleeves altogether. 
Hmm. I'll be getting along. Be supper time directly. Number four, shoulders. Balloon shoulders are indicated for the 1944 season, but a severe choked-off effect should be striven for in contradistinction to an opulent plumpness. Yes, a fella dry himself, wash water, and the vittles is on the table before he knows it. Number five, cuffs. Sky Brothers are permitted to make their own decisions about cuffs. It is suggested, however, that you consult your wife on the matter. Your wife will in all probability have some clever, daring, refreshing, and novel ideas which will enhance the overall beauty and dignity of your appearance. Yes, I and believe I will go now. No hurry, Uncle Fletcher. Time I walked home, passed the time of day with Mrs. Keller, and drew wash water from my face and hands. Bittles will just about be getting tender and ready for the table. Well, suit yourself. But a very pleasant visit. I'm sorry there was unhappiness about you and your equilibrium. Not at all. We must do that again. Yes, real soon. Next Tuesday. Grand. And you don't think your landlady, Miss Keller, would be interested in making the alterations in my <laughs> life? <laughs> You're referring to Dr. Elton then O'Halter there in DeKalb, were you? Yeah. Veely, Haynes, Dort, Briscoe, Oakland, Maxwell, all them cars. Uh-huh. Well, see you fellows later. Sure, sure thing. thing. Goodbye, Vic. Goodbye. Goodbye, Russell. Goodbye, Uncle Fletcher. Which concludes another brief interlude at the small house halfway up in the next block. You know, during the last few months, something new has been happening at Navy bases all over the country. Just recently in Washington... Ensign Andrews reporting, sir. Oh, yes, Ensign. I've got good news for you. A group of waves are coming aboard to take over the duties of you and your men. You've been badgering me to send you on sea duty. Now that the waves are taking over, I'm releasing you for destroyer duty this week. Yes, thousands of American women are now taking over men's duties in the Navy. They're doing a real job for their country. But the waves, the Navy's Women's Reserve, needs many more women to fill important posts in aviation groundwork, in mechanics, and in many other special and technical positions. Any young woman who's at least 20 years old and not over 36 with two years of high school or business school can apply. You'll be trained in leading American colleges and paid at the same rate as Navy men. And you get lovely new uniforms free, too. Now, this is a real opportunity for women who want to serve their country alongside the fighting men of the Navy. So if you're between 20 and 36 with two years of high school education, write immediately to Navy Recruiting, White Plains, New York. Join the waves and help the Navy win. And don't forget to listen to Vic and Sade the next time. This is Betty Ruth Smith saying good day for the makers of Ivory Flakes and Crisco.
program comes to you from Chicago. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Okay, more uh, very strange humor from Paul Reimer, the writer of Vic and Sade. The opening line, I'm peddling dead fish. Anybody want any? Did you catch that? And also um, the dentist who practiced uh, his dentistry for 58 years with no patients. And anybody ever heard of Dismal Seepage, Ohio? Interesting name for a town, Dismal Seepage, Ohio. Anyway, I love this show. It's so stupid and so weird, but it's very, very interesting. Um, we'll play more of them, even if nobody else likes it. I like it. So anyway, this is John Tefteller. This is the good old days of radio show. And we will be back on Thursday with a horror show to jolt you out of your seat. And then back next Tuesday with some more comedy, drama, or variety. So until then, tell all your friends to listen to Vic and Sade, and I'll see you later. ¶¶